Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Ask you to open up your Bible with me to the book of First Peter, chapter five. First Peter, chapter five. Glory to God, Noel. You've got disciples up here. Hallelujah! How many of you have ever uh, have ever competed in a track and field sports, or you ha- really, or you have. Uh, <laughs> or you have observed track and field. Hallelujah. So there is such a thing called a relay race. You might be familiar with what a relay race is. It is a team race that consists of four runners. Um, in Similar to other sports, you cannot rely on a single individual in order to win a relay race. The first runner carries a baton, and after running a certain distance, called a leg, the runner hands the baton off to the next team member. This exchange must occur within a confined zone that is only a few meters long. That means that the timing is crucial. If the runners do not exchange the baton within this time zone, or within this distance, the team is disqualified. The length of the race will vary from 400 to, to, uh, to up to 6,000 6, meters. And in some relays, each team member runs an equal distance, but in others run different distances. And so the relay race is an interesting one because it's not necessarily won by the team that runs the fastest. It's not all about the speed. But it is also about the skill in successfully passing the baton in the exchange zone. So races can be won or lost in the passing of the baton. Teams can be disqualified by a bad pass. Passing that baton is essential to winning the race. And one uh, one coach uh, gave these instructions as he thought about what it takes to pass the, the baton. He said that in order to have a good pass, both of the runners must be running so that they do not lose time. There must be trust and confidence that the team member will hand it over properly. A runner receiving the baton cannot look back or swerve out of his lane. It requires knowledge of each other's ability. The runner that is passing the baton has to tell the other runner when to go. And if he says go too early, he won't have the time to catch him and give the baton. It also requires strict obedience to the rules. When we look at this so important exchange of the baton in a relay race, we can learn many things 
about what it takes for us as believers and as parents to pass on a spiritual heritage from one generation to the next. We see this happen throughout the Bible. There is a time when Moses is passing away. His leadership is going to end, and so he's looking for someone to take his place. Moses is able to successfully pass the baton of ministry onto his servant Joshua. We see it in the life of David when he, his desire is to build a temple for the living God. God does not allow him to do so. So he has to pass this baton onto his son, Solomon. And there, are, uh, there is a story of how that happened. There's also the passing of the mantle from the prophet Elijah to his disciple Elisha. We see it also in the life of Jesus. Jesus was only on the earth for a very short time, only three years to train and equip his disciples. And how many know Jesus left? He went back to his father in glory. He sent back the Holy Spirit, but he gave his disciples a baton that they had to pick up and run with. We see it also in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul passing on the legacy of his ministry to a disciple named Timothy. And so what we must learn from this tonight and what we're going to read in the scripture, we have to learn that it is not enough to run our own race. Are you hearing me tonight? It is not enough for you to run your race well. We also have to be mission-minded, that there must be another generation that we can pass a baton on to We must hand off that baton at the right time, in the right way. And that baton of ministry and legacy must be passed well if the mission of the gospel is going to continue on beyond your lifespan. And in the scripture we're going to read, we're going to find some keys and some necessary ingredients for those who are older in the faith and for those who are also younger in the faith so that we can all be in the place that we need to be in order that this baton can be passed. Let's read together 1 Peter chapter 5. We want to read verses 1 through 7, reading from the New Living Translation tonight. And Peter writes these words. And now, a word to you who are elders in the church. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you, younger men, must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you serve each other in humility, for God opposes the proud but favors the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, we're grateful tonight for the opportunity 
to gather together in this place. God, we're praying that in this place you would find a people, God, that are able to pass a legacy on to another generation. I'm praying, God, that you would raise up those who would receive this legacy and carry it for generations to come. I'm praying tonight that you would give us vision, not just for our own lives, but for those who are coming after us. And we're praying, God, enable us to do this work in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen. Let's look, first of all, at the elder's job. In the scripture that we read tonight, Peter is addressing the elders in the church. And uh, we have to give a definition to that. Does that just mean uh, the gray hairs? Does it only mean those who uh, are bad in traffic? No. The elders are those who have experience in Christ of any age. In the, word, the word in the Greek language is presbyteros. It uh, is where the Presbyterian church gets its name from. It's an interesting word in the Greek. It literally means the leader, pre, pre is the prefix before, and the word B-O-U-S, baus, is the Greek word for cows. And so the word uh, presbyteros, an elder, is a leader of cattle. And how many know you don't have to have a certain age requirement to lead cattle around? You can be a child and lead a cow around if you have the proper equipment. But when uh, he is addressing the elders of the church, it's not necessarily those who are older in age. It is those who are of a mature faith. And I want to say tonight that just because you're old doesn't mean you're an elder. (laughs) You can be an old fool, too. And uh, there, there is possible to be old and not have a life that is worthy of following. So I say to you that just because you're old doesn't make you an elder, but just because you're younger doesn't mean that you're not an elder. The definition, according to the Word of God, really has to do with those who, are, who have a mature level of faith. Because when we reach a level of maturity in faith, all of a sudden, our lives become very important for others to look at. In the church, it means someone who has more spiritual experience than you. Uh, I'm, a, I'm the pastor of the church, and uh, I'm older than many of you. But uh, even those who are, who are uh, beyond my own age, I can look up to as elders in the church. Those who even may have younger age than me, but have been living for God and have a mature and a vibrant faith, I can look up to you as an elder also. Peter says in this scripture, he says, I too am an elder. I know what that's like. I have a witness. He he gives a definition of what it means to reach the status of an elder of the church. He says, I'm number one, I'm a witness to the suffering of Christ. Number two, I will share in his glory when uh, his glory is revealed to the whole world. So what elders have is, number one, they've been through some fire. They've been through some suffering and come out the other side. An elder is somebody who's seen the heat of battle and had the bullets flying by your ears, spiritually speaking. An elder is also someone who is faithfully anticipating 
glory. In other words, you're not all twisted and bitter. You're not stuck in the past. An elder is somebody, yes, who's been through some battles, but still faithfully and hopefully looking forward to what God has for us. Now, Peter's word to the elders is to exhort them. An exhortation. It means, I want you to do something. Verse 1, he says, as a fellow elder, I appeal to you. I exhort you. Now, I basically, Peter is trying to relate with those who've been in the church, who've reached a level of maturity, and he's identifying with them. And he is saying, I understand that sometimes it's easy for the elders to get tired, to get, uh, to get worn out a little bit, to get burned out, we could say. That is times where elders need exhortation. Elders often need a little push to continue on in the good work that God has given you. For, for elders, it is not always necessary to rebuke. I remember very clearly uh, when I was uh, new in the church, I was a young disciple, and there was another young disciple there, and uh, there was one man uh, who was in the church who was number, he was older than us, and he was also been in the church a lot longer than us. And I can remember this this fellow disciple with me one day, he got ticked off that this guy wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't doing something right. And he, man, he rebuked him, gave him, gave him, uh, you know, a boot in the rear, as you could say. And uh, I remember Pastor Campbell uh, let him have it for that. He said, you don't rebuke somebody who's been serving God longer than you've, you've been alive. That's not right. You don't do that. And that's what the scripture says. First Timothy five, verse one, do not rebuke an older man. But exhort him. If you want, if you see something, if you want to encourage somebody, that's great. But don't rebuke him. Exhort him as a father and younger men as brothers. So elders have need often for exhortation. What do we exhort them to do? In verse 2, it says to care for the flock. In other words, it goes right back to the name. They are presbyters. They are leader of the cattle. Leader of the flock. Those younger than you in the faith can often seem like cattle. Can often seem a little slow. Chewing the cud. Come on, guys. Let's go. Didn't get it yet, so let's get it. And so often, just like a a herd of sheep or like a group of cattle, they don't need rejection. They don't need rebuke. They need care. In the New King James, it says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. And that's the point, right? The point of the scripture, the point of Peter's exhortation here is that we need to care for people, not beat up on them. Sometimes those who've been around in church for a while look at the new people and say, well, it's, it's my job to whip them up into shape. Well, you know, just remember They're not your flock. They're God's flock. He is the great shepherd. We have just been delegated some of his authority for the time being. One day we're going to stand before him. Verse 2 says, care, care. Say the word care. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Now, there might be some like uh, Charles Barkley back in the 90s who said, I am not an example. I'm not a role model. 
Uh, but if you have been around for a little while and you, uh, you show up for church and you're faithful, well, like it or not, you, you hold an elderly role in the church. Those who are new to the faith or new in the church experience, they are, they are going to naturally look up to people around them. They're going to naturally look around and say, well, what about this person? What about that person? How are they living? They're looking for exampleship, for direction. And so it is important for you, uh, for every one of us here, to maintain a lifestyle and a testimony that is going to help people and not hurt them. You remember what Jesus said about those who cause those little ones to stumble? Boy, you don't want to be on that, on that receiving end. Jesus said it would be better for them that a millstone be hung around their neck and cast into the sea. And so when somebody looks at the example of your life, somebody looks at how you pray, somebody looks at how you give, somebody takes an example of your marriage or your children, you know, it's important for us to set a good example. It started to get quiet in here. But this is our, this is our mandate. This is what Peter is, is, is trying to encourage us. He said, look, if the next generation, if we're going to be able to pass a baton, we got to have somebody running at the same speed. We got to show them what it means. We don't make excuses for ourselves. We don't feel sorry for ourselves. We don't throw a pity party. Because if we do, guess who? Guess what? Somebody else is watching. If nobody else, your children are watching. We watch over the flock willingly, not grudgingly, and not for what you will get out of it. Two mistakes that elders can make here is shepherding out of reluctance. Well, pastor said I have to, so I guess I have to. Ugh. Or shepherding for the purpose of personal gain. Uh, that means taking advantage of those who are less experienced than you. I don't know if you know this, but there's not a whole lot to gain, materially speaking, if you're doing things correctly. What I'm saying is that I did not become a pastor because of all the monetary uh, opportunities that stood before me. Okay? If we are going to gain something, it's going to be the blessing from on high that God is able to provide for caring for the flock. You know, shepherds today, I never see, uh, I used to live over in Eastern Europe, and we, we would see those shepherds out on the hills leading the sheep around. Can I tell you, I never, I never saw a shepherd driving a Bugatti. I never saw a shepherd with a Gucci handbag. You know what I saw? I saw shepherds who slept out under the stars at night. I saw shepherds who didn't have fancy clothes. Because shepherding a flock is not a highly, uh, it's not, not sought for monetary gain. And uh, Jesus described those who were, uh, who were only after the monetary gain, and, and uh, you know, that's not good. Why should we serve the flock? Because we should be eager to serve God. Because God cares over his flock. John chapter 21, verse 15 is an interesting account here of Jesus after his resurrection. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, 
feed my lambs. This is the highest level of Peter's revelation here. And this is why he can say to the church to watch over the flock because Jesus had said to him, feed my sheep. Watch over them and keep them. This is the greatest mandate that, we ha- that Peter had from the Lord. Yes, he was leader of the church. Yes, he has names in the, uh, he has books in the Bible named after him. But his greatest achievement was simply this, caring for the flock as an elder of the Lord. This scripture goes on to explain the difference between lording and leading. There is a difference. The concept here is that we should have a desire as elders of the church, as those who have a little bit of experience in the kingdom, that we want to see others do well for the kingdom of God. Do you have that desire? If you don't, then you're not going to make a whole lot of difference for time or for eternity. For those who look around and don't see any opportunity to help people, you will be destined to a life of spiritual meaninglessness, unable to really make impact for the kingdom of God. Teddy Roosevelt had an interesting quote. He said, far better it is to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy nor suffer much because they live in gray twilight that knows not victory, or defeat. We should be leading the flock, not lording it. Our scripture says don't lord it over the people assigned to your care. We cannot domineer. We cannot dictate. We cannot be overbearing personalities. Uh, Have you ever tried to manipulate someone into the kingdom of God? That doesn't work too well. Husbands, have you ever tried to manipulate your wife into loving you? Wives, have you tried to manipulate your husbands? Doesn't work out very well, does it? Or when you try even to manipulate your own children, you might be able to get away with it when they're small. But when you manipulate and dominate and domineer over your own children, you know you're, you're creating monsters. That they might, they might be able to, to listen to you now. They might be able to, uh, to, to uh, obey your commandments, but one day they'll be big enough that they don't have to. That's why the greatest that's why the greatest thing you can teach your kids is not to control them but teach them to control themselves. If all we do is make demands like some drill sergeant it's not going to work out well. D- does God ever do that with you? No, God is not a drill sergeant. He will teach us, he will train us, he will care for us. He does not lord it over us. Instead, we serve a God who leads us. You know, what's amazing to me is we have a book full of good commandments that God has given to us. But when Jesus came to the earth 2,000 years ago, he was not above his own commandments. He lived what he preached. Long before you were ever born, Jesus lived out what he taught his disciples to do. The dreaded E word is exampleship. You are either a good example or a bad one. And if you don't serve God in any other way, maybe you could serve as a bad example. There is great importance of being an example in the New Testament. Philippians three seventeen, brethren, join in following my example. 
And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Philippians 4, 9. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these you should do, and the God of peace will be with you. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Uh, to Timothy, Paul said, uh, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Titus, in all things, show yourself to be a pattern of good works. Can you say tonight that your life exhibits a pattern of good works? This is what it means to be an elder, according to the scripture. You'll never lead someone to do something that you are not doing yourself. Pastor Mitchell, this comes from, uh, from one of his uh, books as he spoke about examplship. He said that the vision is not so much taught in a Bible school or a textbook. It is caught when others see a clear demonstration of what to do for God in the life of another person. It is 95% Examplship. In other words, I could I could stand up here and preach a thousand sermons about what you need to do, but it means nothing if I'm not doing those things myself, or if there's not people in the church who are living the very things that are being preached. So this is what it means to be an elder. It means we've got to run our race. It means we've got to do our part. It means we've got to live in a way that is going to encourage people and not discourage them. But that's not the end of the story. In a relay race, the first runner plays his part, but he cannot win the race on his own. He has to have tonight someone to pass it to. And in most relay races, you have four runners that run four legs. And that baton has to be passed three times. And it has to be passed correctly, and it has to be passed well, and it cannot be dropped if the team is going to win. I want to say tonight that if we're going to win this race, we have to be able to pass the baton as well. In verse 5, Peter turns his attention not just to the elders of the church, not just to those who've been around a while, but he begins to look at those who are new in the faith and younger in age. So that's who I want to turn my attention to. There's some kids here tonight. This message is for you. There's some who are new in the faith or new in ministry or new to, uh, to, to being serious about living for God. Now it's your turn to perk up your ears. Are you ready? Verse 5 is, says, In the same way, you younger men must accept the authority of the elders. In other words... You don't have a better idea. You don't have a better theory for how things are going to work. It w the whole church will work better when the elders are passing and the youths are receiving. We have to talk tonight about the power of humility. That every one of us, that we uh, are either on the passing end or the receiving end of this baton that we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, Christianity can go extinct within one generation. We don't pass it to our kids in the bloodline. We don't pass faith 
on to, to newcomers of the church. We don't pass it on just by osmosis or just by sitting next to them in church. The only way that we do this is by faith and by humility, recognizing that we're not going to last forever. Right, Mr. Stephen? Some of us will last longer than others. But we all have an opportunity while God has given us to pass a baton. You know, as I was thinking about this, I, a thought ran through my brain that I'd like to share with you. What if tonight, what if everyone over the age of 40 was suddenly gone? My question is, would the church continue? I'd be gone. <laughs> raise your hand if you're over the age of 40. Okay, now raise your hand if you're not over the age of 40. Okay, we're looking at you. Would you be able to keep the church going? Would you be able to keep the outreaches going? Would you be able to keep the song service going? Would you be able to keep the Bible studies going? I hope so. And if, if not tonight, we've got to be willing to pass the baton. If we are not, if, if those who are all of a sudden over 40 were unable or, or, uh, or got raptured somehow, and if those left behind could not continue the work of the, the gospel, it means that either, number one, there's been a failure of the elders to pass, or there's a failure of the youths to receive. And it's a failure on both sides. George Bernard Shaw, interesting quote, he said, Life is no brief candle to me. It is sort of a splendid torch which I've got to hold for the moment. I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to future generations. Dale Burke said, Nothing feels better than seeing a vision that you helped to birth be passed on into the capable hands of of others. As a leader, you must be willing to let go. I, I got to tell you tonight, I was, I was present. I was there at the Bible conference in Prescott, Arizona, several years ago, when we all watched when Pastor Mitchell, who founded our fellowship, laid his hands on his son, Pastor Greg Mitchell, and passed on the authority of leadership to his son. What I witnessed, that was about I don't know, it was probably about seven or eight years ago. But what we all witnessed in that service on that Friday night of Bible conference, we witnessed the passing of a baton. And there, of course, there were, there's always critics, there's always negative voices, there's people who said, Pastor Mitchell, you're still strong, you're still healthy, you can keep carrying it. Is he ready? Pastor Mitchell had the wisdom to understand that he was in the zone. He was in that passing zone. The time was critical, and he had to pass it before the time would pass. That was such a critical moment. And now we can look back with 2020 hindsight and look with, uh, that, with that Pastor Mitchell had incredible wisdom to pass the leadership, the baton of leadership, onto his son Greg, who is now uh, uh, has taken that baton and has ran even further than his father could have. I want to tell you, we are in good hands as a fellowship. But what about us as a church? I'm concerned. Can I be honest with you? I'm concerned that when I go into the prayer room before church service, 
that I'm only seeing 40s, 40 and ups. Where are the youths? Where are those who are receiving the baton? Is it a failure of those who of the of, of us elders uh, unable to pass on, or is it perhaps a failure of the youth? Those who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. One man wrote, Christianity is always one generation away from extinction. Jesus' mission has always depended on one generation of leaders handing the mission to the next. Where they have done so effectively, the churches and ministries have continued to thrive. Now the mission is in your grasp. The moment tonight, the moment that you find yourself in a position of leadership, authority, exampleship, eldership, is also the moment that you and I should begin looking for the next generation to pass to. Thank God for my pastor, Pastor Campbell, who's now over 80 years old. What I see in his life is that God has enabled him to pass thousands of batons onto many, many disciples even around the world. My prayer is tonight that God would give you that opportunity to pass the baton of your ministry, your leadership. Parents, that you would pass your baton onto your children and that their faith would be maintained and would not be lost like so many in the church today. Will you tonight, will you receive this mandate, this call from the Apostle Peter to pass the baton to the next generation. Let's bow our heads tonight, close our eyes for just a moment. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three. Premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.